Martijn Lenoble is one of the most sought-after bassists in the country, as well as a composer for film and television. A founding member of the influential band Porno for Pyros, he has since gone on to play with The Cult, Jane's Addiction, Mark Lanigan, Thelonious Monster, John Frushanti, Maria McKee, and Chrissy Hine. And oh yeah, he and his wife are one of the great love stories of all time. Let's begin the conversation, and he'll tell you about that. All right, uh, welcome to another episode of the Chris Kirkwood Podcast. I'm Bill Cody, the producer. I want to introduce my, uh, well, the host, Chris Kirkwood. And Hi, Bill. Hey, and uh, <laughs> our wonderful guest today, Martin Lenoble, uh, bass player to, uh, let's see, Jane's Addiction, Porno for Pyros, The Cult. Uh, Mark Lanigan, Chrissy Hind, uh, Maria McKee, I think, even. Yeah. Uh, hey, guys. <laughs> hey, Martin. That sounds so, so good. <laughs> so badass. <laughs> so, but an old, an old pal, uh, too. So. An old pal. I'd like to thank Martin for having us up. We're actually at Martin's house doing it here in the studio with Nate engineering everything. And it's another show, another one of the uh, Chris shows, podcast with my co-host and producer, Bill. And Martin, thanks for having us over, and thanks for being on the show. Oh, thank you so much for really nice to see you guys. It's really good to see you too, man. I mean, it's one of the cool things about the podcast thing, you know, that Bill talked me into doing, right? You know, that's turned out to be uh, really fun for me is getting to see old pals, you know, people yeah. I haven't seen in a while, and then getting to hang out with them and, you know, hash stuff over a little bit and try to figure out how to, like, talk about stuff that would be... Uh, interesting enough for people to want to listen to it or something. <laughs> yeah, good luck <laughs> with think, me. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, good luck with me. You know, so, Well, cool. So, let's begin. Let's begin. All right, so now I have to figure out, again, how to do this. So, well, let's just start at the beginning. So, Martin, like we were saying, you've done a lot of playing with a lot of different people, but you originally are from the Netherlands. Yes. Okay. And... You grew up there. I grew up in the Netherlands. Yeah, my family's still over there. Family's also there. And um, and I moved here in '89, but that's where I. So yeah. That's where you started playing. Started playing there, um, kind of, you know, professionally, when I was 14 years old. Wow. Um, and um, you know, like professionally means you would get a hundred bucks. Right. Um, gigging, gigging, doing gigs yeah. in a band. In a band, yeah. Okay. When did you actually like pick up the the bass was it from a musical family or no uh, we had a family friend that played bass and there was this punk rock band in my town that um, the bass player quit and I said well I can be the bass player and and basically got a bass a really cheap like Japanese piece of plywood with four strings and I started learning those songs um, there weren't that. I think they only had five songs, so that was not that hard. Right. What was it called? What was the band's name? The band was called Clorix. Clorix. Yes. Is that a uh, is that a Dutch word? No, it's Just... it was a it was a it's a bleach. Oh, Clorix, like oh. Clorox. There's Clorox, and so Clorix. It's a bleach. Yeah, it was, a, and then we changed it to. Oh God, what what other name did we have? I don't even remember. It was pretty. Um, it was a great, you know, it was a great way to start playing music with. Right. Getting a band. Like, yeah. And that's the cool thing. I mean, it's, you know, about bass. I'm a bass player. You know that. And, yes. uh, and it's a pretty easy instrument in some ways. 
right? Yeah, it's a good it's a good starter instrument. You know, my brother has he he, he like uh, you know, he's the guitar player in the band. You, you know, Kurt, my brother, in the Meat Puppets, right? And everybody, you know, people listening know that or whatever. But he um, he's a great bass player, you know, and and uh, and sometimes has issues with my playing, I think, you know, because like the bass is an easy instrument in a way, and yet like anything, I mean, you know. You, you get you can get out of it what you try to get out of it or something you know and occasionally maybe I overthink it he thinks maybe he says that the bass is the tricycle of the of the band arena <laughs> wait, wait a second <laughs> I know see that guitar players I say I say four thick good strings versus six thin evil strings <laughs> yeah yeah I like that I'm trying to think of what the guitar would be if the bass was the tricycle <laughs> right it's the uh, it's the uh, the the, you know, the uh, training diaper. Of the, uh, uh, I don't know the. Yeah, uh... <laughs> yeah. I would say, I would do I would say that the bass is probably easier to start with than guitar, but but um, God, I, can you imagine telling that to Charlie Mingus or or Charlie Hayden or fleas like you <laughs> you and your tricycle <laughs> right right well that, i mean that's the that's the interesting thing about the bass it's a, um you know i think you know there's that 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 take on it you know i think my brother's talking about it because he's thinking in terms compositionally maybe or something you know and what the bass provides to the band so i mean who are like as far as like who who did you grow up on um, bass wise i mean did did you come from that did you have people that you dug well, it's, this is really interesting because because my parents are really. Um, I'm going to move this for one sec. My parents um, listened to a lot of music, and they were. Um, um, they also had a lot of parties, so you know, sleeping upstairs in my bedroom and listening to the parties going on downstairs. I only heard the kick drum and the bass, right. like through the ceiling, so. I knew all the bass lines to the songs they were listening to, the Velvet Underground, um, Beatles. Um, the ones that were the hardest to decipher were the Ramones because they were always the same. Like, <laughs> like what song is that? It could be that one or it could be that one. Right. So that's, yeah, that's, I always connected to it. I've always loved the bass. Um, and, um, Musical family, that was your question, right? Musical family. My grandfather was a violinist. That's his violin. Um, oh, neat. And um, he tried to teach me a lot of stuff. He wanted me to play violin, and I didn't like it. That's the only instrument in here that I can't play at all, but I have it in here. Um, and um, there was always a lot of music around, and my parents had really good taste and still do. They still turn me on to some European bands that are great. And your folks are still around? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are they still together? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Do you have siblings? I have one sister. She's um, two years younger than I am, lives in Amsterdam. Yeah. So did your grandfather play violin professionally, or was it... No, he played in, like, local orchestras, but um, he, he played violin and flute and, and was very, always busy with music and... But he played in the orchestra, so yeah. he actually knew what he was doing. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. He's good. And the violin, I mean, it's a four-stringed instrument, but they're unfathomable to me, yeah. in a way. You know what I mean? 
Look, look at how tiny the neck is. There's a violin here. We're in Martin's studio, and uh, he's got some instruments here, including his grandfather's violin. And you know, the neck on those things is so dinky. You know what I mean? And like, I just never got to that level of like, uh, even with bass. You know, even with upright bass. You know, where you like learn your positions or something. I was like, I mean, if it weren't for the little lines on the neck, you know, the frets, I wouldn't have a clue, yeah. you know, and that people got to the point that they got to with the violin. And, uh, I, and, uh, you know, I mean, hundreds of years ago, you know, there's stuff that's just so in incredibly complex. Yeah. You know, such a like detailed, technically accomplished stuff, you know, who am I thinking of, um, is that Perlman or uh, no the one the, uh, the Yo Yo Ma? No, he's no, a cellist. years ago the the yeah, Yo -Yo Ma, the so. the violinist from a couple hundred years ago. I don't know. Um, you know who I'm talking about? The really really fast Italian. God, I can't believe that. No, they're... we'll edit this part out. We'll edit this part out. Maybe, maybe, we'll but 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 yeah. I mean, I did take violin lessons when I was a kid, seven years old. My grandfather really wanted all of his grandchildren to play violin so we all had a go at it i think only one of you know my cousins stuck with it but so i would go to violin lesson and i hated it mm -hmm. i didn't like it at all but i didn't have the heart to tell him so eventually i hid my violin under a bridge <laughs> and i was pretending i was going to the lesson oh, but awesome. i wouldn't and finally the teacher called him up and said, hey, I haven't seen Martine in months. What's going on? Because you're still paying. Right. <laughs> and it all came to a head, and we had this huge blow up, like, um, terrible thing. My grandfather tried, I called him something, like a, a name, um, and he ended up chasing me and falling and breaking his arm. And it was like, oh, oh I was like, oh my <laughs> all over the violin. Oh, that's pretty awesome. Actually breaks his arm. Breaks I mean, he shouldn't arm. have been chasing you. I mean, you were seven. No, you know what? That's not right. My timeline is totally off. I must have been like 12 because I was starting to listen to punk rock. And so, but I think I played violin from seven to 12-ish, something like that. Okay. Oh, Paganini. Paganini. That's what I was there trying to think of. So it's just uh, indic indicative of like what, what happens to the brain after as yeah. many years as I've horribly abused mine. So Paganini, anyways, that's what I was talking about in terms of like uh, the, you know, level that people got to with the violin even that long ago, you know. And, uh, and, it, and it's just music, you know, but it's interesting like how people come up with instruments and, you know, play them and use them to get these ideas out. You know, and, and the stuff that that guy was getting to, you know, back then and whatnot. And it's such a small, strange little instrument. And it's interesting that didn't like the violin, but then you decided you wanted to play bass. Yeah. You know? So you're playing in bands. You started playing that young. And then you took an interesting, you know, made a leap or something. I mean, you moved over here. Yeah. Yeah, I moved over here in 89. So you're um, pretty young. Yeah, I was 20. Um. But I had, you know, I'd met this girl that um, um, was from here, uh -huh. and we, you know, we went back to the U.S. together. Um, I was actually going to play with Maria McKee at that time in 89, but that kind of fell through. Uh -huh. I came here with like 70 bucks wow. in my pocket with wow. a return ticket, and thinking I was just going to stay for a little bit and go back. And... Um, <clears throat> 
And during my first week, I met most of my good friends to this day. I met Bob Forrest, Pete Weiss, Flea. I met um, Norwood. Like, I ended up going to this bar. I don't know if you've ever been there. Smalls used to be on Melrose. Right. Um, John Seidel, another friend of mine, owned it. And because I didn't have an ID, that was the only place I could go to. And I went there <laughs> and met all these people that I ended up being in bands with like, in my first week. Just landed wow. right there. Wow. Now, how did, how did the uh, Maria McKee hookup from over there um, happen? My, my, my ex-wife... The, the American girl I followed here, she was a model. So she was um, a roommate with um, Bruce Brody's girlfriend, also modeling in Paris. So then Bruce and I met in Amsterdam and met Maria. And then I heard they were looking for a bass player. I thought, okay, I'll go over there, try out, but it never ended up happening. I ended up playing with her years later. Um actually just did a song with her a few months ago that's coming out here in this studio um yeah so that's how that that all happened i think i uh, think <laughs> i think yeah <laughs> we'll check um well that's pretty gutsy i mean that's pretty far out i mean was it was it i mean wasn't it to move over here i mean i you know to leave your country and did you speak English pretty good? I mean, you. No, I, sp I mean, I mean, I could communicate well enough, but it, my English certainly wasn't that good. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if it was gutsy. I, 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 I'd been playing music in Holland and, and I'd played every club there was to play, you know, like over and over every small venue, every <laughs> bar. Um, and there was really like, <laughs> nowhere else to go like mm. um and i always felt like i would end up in the u.s i always thought i would end up in new york and unfortunately i ended up here not fortunately <laughs> <laughs> um and um yeah i don't know if i get i don't know if it was courageous it almost was like supposed to be like this i think right well, it's something. I mean, it's it's something. I don't know if, if it needs to even be called anything like courageous or whatever. Yeah. But it's definitely something that you you know can do. Yeah. You know? Especially you know when you're young like that, you know, um, and people do that. And and you know, L.A. is definitely a place that you see people, at least from the states, move out here to purposely try to get into you know the entertainment business or whatever. Yeah. You know, and New York as well. And it's something I never did. You know, I mean, I still live in, in Phoenix where I grew up you know, and uh, just never managed to get out of there, you know, but at a pretty young age, started like at 20, 19, you know, uh, coming out here and playing shows and, and started touring and stuff, you know, and going to see different cities and realizing that there were other places, you know, you know, other than Phoenix for sure yeah. know, that you could, you could go to, but I never, you know, I never did that. And certainly like, you know, alone, moving away from your family and that kind of stuff. But I never went out with a model either. So, you know, it's like, <laughs> so already you were kind of flying kind of high there. You know what I mean? so. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah. I mean, I did, when I first got here, I really did have, you know, the plan to go back. Mm -hmm. But then I ended up playing with Thelonious Monster and then with 
on the two free stooges and we would do all these shows and um it just kind of solidified like oh i really like it here now and i really like the people that i'm meeting and working with and um it's it's it became my home this is where i this is my home right you've yeah. been here since yeah i've been here longer than i lived in holland well, yeah right. hmm. And your English is certainly fine. <laughs> it's gotten better. <laughs> All right, hold on one second. We got uh, our sponsor. Uh, oh, take a moment to. Uh, yeah. We have a sponsor now for the podcast. And one of the cool things, I'll just say this: like the first time we went to Europe, right? I've been a pothead. We're going to talk about pot for a second. You know, since I was a kid, you know, I discovered that I like to smoke grass. And certainly going to Holland the first time, it was like you know, and you know, an American thing, right? Where it's like. You can get weed, yeah. you know, and and immediately realized that everybody there, like in Amsterdam, people are like, oh, ho hum, you know, another another American band coming over here and being all fucking stone when they play their gig, you know, because you know they're they're used to it, you know, because of the you could get grass there then, you know, I don't know if it was like legal, but it was allowed, you know, yes. in, in the uh, in the hash bars, right? So to have that experience back then was definitely neat, you know, it was just kind of a break, you know, to to not be up against the, the, the law, you know, doing something that, you you know, you decided you wanted to do. So now it's things have started to change a little bit here in the States. And, you know, there's some states that have decided to go ahead and allow recreational marijuana use to be uh, legal. And one of the states is Denver. And we have... One of the states is Denver? Or one of the states is Denver. <laughs> see, see why you shouldn't smoke pot, kids? <laughs> so... <laughs> So, it's Colorado. <laughs> so, uh, and, uh, we, you know, we've been uh, fortunate enough to have uh, some of the folks that are uh, involved with that, Wellspring Collective, be our, uh, come on board as a sponsor of the, of the podcast, which is really cool for us. And we'll take a moment to advertise their wares. Hey, everybody, it's Chris, and I'd like to take this opportunity to tell you all a little bit about the good folks at Wellspring Collective. If you're searching for a recreational dispensary in Denver, then Wellspring Collective is the place for you. With one of the city's largest selections of edibles and extracts, Wellspring Collective offers a wide range of marijuana products to recreational adults. Their high-quality cannabis products, knowledgeable staff, attentive customer service, and safe, professional environment set them apart from other recreational dispensaries in Denver to meet your buying needs. I invite you to browse through their menu check out their specials, and contact them with any questions you may have about recreational marijuana. Wellspring Collective is located in Denver at 1724 South Broadway along the stretch of road called the Green Mile. That's 1724 South Broadway in Denver, Wellspring Collective, for all your recreational marijuana needs. And we're back. And uh, I was talking about, uh, it's, Chris was asking me, I, I was mentioning to him that you both played the Gary Tovar benefit, and I think that was the first night Porno for Pyros played. Ah. Oh. And <clears throat> the Meat Puppets played. And uh, I remember, I think that's the first time I ever met you, just briefly. And, uh, and the, the 740th time I met Chris. <laughs> the Gary Tovar benefit, was it at the Palace? Is it the Palladium? The Palladium, yes, we did play that. And there, speaking of pot, I mean, look at, you know, Gary Tovar was involved with, he was, you know, one of the guys that started Golden Voice. 
Yes. Right. And then got in trouble because of grass. Yeah. You know, got arrested for selling grass and wound up doing quite a bit of prison time because of it. He did. Yeah. You know. So, um, so that was Porno for Paro. So how did let's let's move back to talking about that. So you're over here. You're playing. You met Bob. You met Flea. You met all these guys that are over here in Los Angeles doing stuff. Um, and when did you meet? You were a founding member of Porno for Paros. Yes, yes, yes. Right. Yeah. So, how'd that come about? Um, well, I, you know, I was playing around a lot. I was playing with lots of different bands, doing a little bit of studio work here and there. Um, first time I met Perry, I think, was another benefit um, at the Palace. And he was kind of hitting on my wife. Um. <laughs> See that, Perry? I'm watching you. Yeah. Watching <laughs> and um, and then, how did that come up? You know what? I saw an ad. I had quit Thelonious Monster. Now, Pete and Bob will tell you a completely different story that I, uh. you know, split um, to join Point of Pyros. I'd already quit um, um, at Al's Bar. Oh, Alice. I, 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 I had quit during a show at Al's Bar. Um, mid-show or after mid-show, the show? Mid-show, mid-show. Oh, far out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? <laughs> Just, it's Thelonious Monster. you got to do it well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've seen at least three or four f- final Thelonious Monster shows. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure I'll see them play again. Yeah, yeah exactly. I love those guys. Um <laughs> So then I saw an ad in the LA Weekly, I think it was, it said, um, <clears throat> um, Jane's Addiction singer and drummer looking for a guitar player and bass player. And I said to someone that I was with, I don't know, I don't remember who it was, I said, I'm going to be the bass player. Never followed up. Um, and then one evening I get a phone call and it's um, someone that's working with Perry saying, hey, we're having all these auditions and one of the bass players said, you had quit Thelonious Monster. Do you want to come over? And I didn't want to come over. I was busy doing stuff. Um, And my friend that was with me, Matt Matt Tecu, um, said, you have to go. I'll drive you. And he drove me there and we played a couple of songs and that was it. Was in the band, because I mean, I mean it's interesting that those guys would put an ad in the paper, because Jane's blew up pretty huge. I mean that yeah, you know, it that, was it was kind of a bizarre thing, and it was a cattle call. I was so I was the last one to show up because everyone had already been like, you know, auditioning and auditioning, and I just kind of showed up. It was funny there were like lots of bass players with striped tights and. Green hair <laughs> and dread like dressed like oh we're gonna go audition for Perry Farrell let's dress like him like oh, it, was, it, was, it was really funny um, and um, um, yeah I showed up we played a couple of songs and that was it cool um, I remember that night was there were people lined up around the Palladium because. It was the first night of Pono for Pyros. And I was actually, he was staying at, Chris was staying at my house. And I remember I told you that I got offered when I was driving in $200 for my uh, backstage wristband. And Chris goes, 
Why didn't you take the two hundred dollars and just call us and tell us to get a cab home? I was like, oh, yeah. okay. Next time I'll do that. Yeah, that's actually what I would have. I, I I used to sell my own like laminates outside and then like go and then go back into the venue and go. But I'm the bass player. Like right. two hundred dollars. So. I and mean, it's it's interesting, you know, the that kind of a thing. I mean, to, to go on a, on a call like that, like I, I've never really played with anybody else in a way. You know, when I was a kid, like the first time I ever played L.A., uh, I was 19, and I got asked to play bass for the Feeders, you know, a punk rock band out of Phoenix. And uh, their bass player had moved out here, actually. Dan Clark was his name, um, is his name. And... Uh, the other guys, uh, Frank Discussion and Johnny Precious, you know, were out in, <laughs> were out in uh, Phoenix. And, you know, I think they asked me to play because they knew that, you know, I had access to my mom's Chevy Love mini, okay, yeah, mini yeah, pickup, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> right? And I think they had some gigs out here set up and, you know, needed a bass player. And uh, that's like one of the only other bands I've ever played with in a way. Um, and it was fun to do, you know, because John was a great drummer, you know, and the songs were... They had that song, um, Jesus Entering from the Rear, you know, was their big hit, you know, hit song. Was their big and, hit? I'm going to have to hear that. Are you not aware <laughs> no, of the Feeders? No, I don't know that, no. Oh, the Feeders were fucking amazing, no. you know. It's Frank Discussion, who was just uh, this guy, and, and, and Dan Clark, who went by Clear Bob back then, and John Vivier was the drummer, called himself Johnny Precious. He was the drummer from The Consumers, which is like a, a Phoenix band that had moved out here, like in the... Uh, like 77, 78 around there, and had moved into the, um, what was that hotel that everybody lived at? The uh, What, uh, downtown? It was like the punk rock hotel. The, the like, American hotel or whatever? No, the, uh, the, what was it called? The um, Oh, God. It was, certainly, it was the Hotel Paganini. Um, <laughs> no, Jesus. <laughs> God. Well, you know, uh, it was like the kind of, I think the Go-Go's were living there. I think like Jane Weedman was living there. The Canterbury. Thank you. Oh, thank you, thank Nate. you, Nate. Thank you, thank Nate. Thank you, Nate. Punk, punk rock you know, uh, historian. That's it. So they had moved out there. Um, and uh, some of those guys are still around. It was like uh, Paul Cutler was part of that. Mm -hmm. um, Mike Borens. You know, there's some guys. And uh, David Wiley was the singer from that and that's how we wind up getting hooked up with people out in los angeles from phoenix is that our drummer had made friends with david and kind of kept in touch with him and when we started playing sent him stuff some of our stuff and wound up you know getting shows out here but even before that i came out with the feeders played at the whiskey uh with the dead kennedys you know and it was like oh man punk rock was getting kind of nutty you know and the the dk's were really you know, pretty far out. And the next night was my 20th birthday, and we played up at the Mabuhai in San Francisco. But other than that, I mean, I haven't played with a whole lot of other people. You know what I mean? I haven't played with other bands and that kind of stuff, you know? So to go and join something like that, I mean, it must have been an interesting experience and must have been like a, a musical hookup on a certain level, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, what? the way it sometimes see it as like when it's so let's go back to Thelonious Monster I joined a band that had three records so <clears throat> my career pl playing bass with other bands often feels like I'm play I've played in a lot of cover bands with 
the original members. Right, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Like Thelonious Monster, we started off playing the songs they had had for years. Mm-hmm. Um, with Porno for Pyro's different. We got to create the music. But um, like, um, then back with The Cult, same thing, like playing their catalog that they've had for years. So again, it feels like I'm playing in a cover band, except, you know, those are the real guys. Right. Well, I get, and that's an interesting, interesting you know observation because it kind of I mean in a way. Now, he's playing with my brother. You know, we've been doing this for a while. You know, and some of the stuff we play is pretty old in a way, and it's almost like being a cover band of yourself. You know what I mean? Which <laughs> yeah. is like, yeah, you know, especially yeah. like listening back to the records that we made, and I was like, is that that's really me? You that's know, amazing. Like, yeah, you know, just like Jesus. Well, this is how I do it now, and I, I hope it. You know. <laughs> passes muster I, I remember uh just talking about the same kind of a thing as far as like specifically bass players when uh you know metallica's bass player cliff burton passed away yes. on tour in, in europe uh you know they decided to carry on you know and, and needed a bass player and I, i've seen like the they have like uh, clips of you know the tryouts for that you know and uh and it's all sorts of people you know and you see like the same kind of thing you know where it's, metallica was definitely well known enough you know so where they get all sorts of people trying out for the band people like you know les claypool and yeah whatnot and the guy they wound up going with uh jason newstead was a kid from phoenix you know interestingly enough that and he was in a band called flotsam and jetsam yes you know yeah. it was like, yeah. doing pretty good kind of you know and it's definitely that you know hard edge fast metal kind of stuff you know and uh, i remember i just knew him kind of peripherally you know because you know i didn't really know him i mean it was somebody i'd met a few times or something you know seen his band and bounced off of him kind of you know i mean they were definitely more metal and we were kind of more over in the uh you know punkier side of stuff in a way but i went and saw their last show with him uh before he moved up to the bay area to play with Metallica, you know, and he'd, he'd gotten the gig, you know, and it was it was an it was kind of interesting, you know, like I mean, it's kind of tough in a way to watch, because he's up there beaming in a way, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm in fucking Metallica, you know I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other guys are like, "Fuck, Jason's in Metallica," you know, <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, it's just kind of yeah, interesting, you know, interesting, and and he he did a great job, you know, and I mean, but maybe you know, goes into this band and. So suddenly you're playing, you know, those dudes were big, you know, and, and they only got bigger with him, you know, and he managed to grow into that or whatever, or be the right guy to, you know, fit those, fill those shoes. So suddenly you're playing with Perry and Steven, right? And yeah. those guys, and Jane's definitely, you know, blew up pretty huge, right? Yeah, and, Jane's was, was, I think, I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly, but it's certainly in my circles the most talked about band that had emerged in the last few years yeah absolutely and and you know Lollapalooza made it even bigger right um and Ritual was just such a masterpiece which by the way came out 25 years ago this week wow that's 25 years ago that was released um and that was yeah I mean they were they had this mythical like they like even though they were around they had some kind of legendary mythical 
status going on like you know you would go see them live at the anson ford or at this party at the you know up in the hills here and it could be the greatest show you've ever seen i mean for me like um so yeah it was playing with them um was exciting but it was also kind of scary because the the hype like how do you follow that right 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 and um and um i yeah yeah it was a little it was a little bit i was nervous about it like okay it's kind of going to be hard to be that good yeah <laughs> and we weren't you weren't no we weren't that good well, i don't think so okay <laughs> i mean like 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 how do you mean like how do you like i mean that's an interesting take you know you're you know it's you talking about yourself, right? You yeah. Know, and how you're judging you know, maybe, your work. maybe, maybe I'm wrong. <clears throat> I, I don't know. I think Pornos had a really cool sound. I mean, I we, think we did have a really cool sound, and it didn't try to. It didn't seem like it was trying to. It wasn't trying to be Jane's. No, we weren't. You know, we were trying something different. You know, um, so yeah. Did Pornos do good? I mean, I don't. I don't. I like, don't no, not really. I mean, we like that's the thing. The hype was so enormous we sold you know half a million records in the first three days and then it stopped like that was it like we sold all our records in three days and then no one else bought a record like it was mm. all those Jane's fans that wanted to find out what the next thing was going to be and um I mean we did good what is that yeah I don't know I, people liked us mm -hmm. I think um we played some really great shows and some really bad shows um and um we other than our first record we weren't very productive like the first record we recorded steven and i recorded you know all our parts in three days mm -hmm. um and then we spent another two and a half years trying to make another record that yeah. that um just and and barely played shows so it was a yeah was that frustrating yeah really frustrating we'd never got our timing right it was like you know this person would be kind of doing you know like kind of losing it somewhere out in the world and then the other person that person would straighten up and then the other person would kind of be lost and we just had a really hard time trying to get into a room together in the right frame of mind and making music right it, it was just well at least i mean from just one thing steven's a great drummer steven is amazing you know from Incredible. a play, from a player's stance you know what i mean like a i'm just a good drum player you know yeah. as a bass player it seems like somebody to be a gas to play with yeah he was fantastic you know? um some of his drum parts like almost imply the melody of the bass already like, yeah there's there's it's so much um yeah he's fantastic and I, I think like just personally like from like what uh how my playing what i did like on you know when i was younger playing with derek you know it was just always he was he was like the, an anti-drummer you know and uh it's kind of what drew us to him i think you know because uh, he's just conceptually he was a real bright dude you know and really cool ideas and he was 
kind of hipper than me and my brother, you know, and like more culturally aware or something, or just kind of more up, up, up to the minute, you know, because Phoenix is kind of one of those places that stuff gets to after a while, you know, kind of bounces off the coast and makes it over there, as, you know, as it does. But Derek was kind of up on what was going on at the moment, you know, and, and definitely turned me on to like the the seven inch thing that was happening in the late seventies, you know, yeah. stuff that I wasn't aware of, whereas I was still like, you know, Hey, have you heard of the Dixie drags? You know, stuff that's really, and I really still dig in a way, you know, but it wasn't like, you know, there's this, this other thing that's more cool that, you, you know, I was like, is it, is, it's about how you move your fingers on the, on the thing, but it's like, Oh no, but it can also be about the ideas that you have or whatever, you know? Yeah. So, so his thing was like non drumming in a way, you know. he said, you know, I'm I'm going to be the worst drummer ever. You know? <laughs> it's like the, That's great. So as you know, and uh and it was I mean it was kinda cool because I'd only barely touched on playing with other people in a way. And coming out of the seventies, there was like that Billy Cobham, Bill mm -hmm, Bruford esque yeah, yeah, kind of stuff, you yeah. know, where you're talking about like a level of proficiency that, you know, you can strive for, but you know, most people don't really have, you know, so it's kinda like well, that's a that's a lot of drums that you have. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and uh, you know, so to meet somebody like Derek, when we met Derek, he had a kick drum with a cymbal screwed into the top of it, and he had a snare and a really ratty old hi hat, and he taught himself to play open open handed or whatever it's called. You know how most drummers play the hi hat with their yeah. right hand yeah. and the snare with their left. He played the hi hat with his left hand and the snare with his right, and basically had one beat. You know, and it was it, it either went faster or slower. You know, so it definitely influenced my playing in a way to have somebody that was so kind of linear drum-wise. You know, and I always thought somebody like Stephen, or another another one like uh, is Chad Smith. You know, to see uh, those guys actually looking for a drummer. You know, and I remember when Cliff played with them. You know, Cliff Roman played with them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and whatnot, and then they finally get to this dude though, where it's kind of like well, fuck, good drummer, you know, beyond just boom bap, boom bap, boom bap, you know, but all this cool stuff with the hi-hat and kind of funky, you know, and and and, and uh, just having that linear kind of stuff drum-wise from where I was coming from, I wound up, like, kind of being busy on the bass. You, well, that's what I really liked about you guys, though. Like, it was such a... The, like, listening to you explain it, what happens is, so the drums were very linear mm -hmm. but you guys provided all the like rhythm and movement which almost which explains a lot which which is why i love you guys so much like it's such a, it's a unique take there was like no one else making the music you guys were making yeah, <laughs> with good reason. <laughs> well, a whole lot of people couldn't either. Um, I mean, I guess you know. I guess maybe they couldn't. But I mean, thanks for that. You know, I, and uh, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of where it was from, though. You know, I think it just that you know there was a room for me to do that. Yeah. You know, and I mean, like on on at a, at a point, I mean, it was I was doing like you know, all these little extra little doodads here and there, and it would work because the drummers are just going like, you know, straightforward like that. But I, I never, never put together like um, a bass and drum patterns, you know what I mean? How like, you know, we're going to go doom, duck, boom, or whatever, you know, right? And right. That kind of a thing. And you're purposely lining up like, blah, boom, blah, you know, the 
tom fills with your you know, little bass notes and stuff yeah. like that. So just you know, just interesting how I don't know what the hell I'm even talking about here. Just other than <laughs> that, like that definitely affected the way that I played. So then you, you know, the the por- porno thing. What happened then? I mean, did it after a couple of years of trying to make a record? Um, yeah, we did the first record, um, toured, and then, um, you know, we were done with that cycle and decided to, you know, work, start working on record number two. And what we did is we got this um, studio in Tahoe, Lake Tahoe, and it was Donna Summer's old house. And we added a wing with bedrooms, wow. and then we built... A, tr- a tracking room this huge thing like lots of money was spent on it and um um and one day you know like nothing was happening there um and so i would go snowboarding every day because n- there was no music being made and one day i came back and everyone was gone and <laughs> it's like wait what happened where is everyone they decided to go back to LA. They don't like it here. I was like, "Oh Jesus!" And you built this whole thing, and <laughs> like, we haven't like we've maybe like had you know three hours of playing music, never with Perry, by the way, like in that house, right. and we just like spent a fortune on it. So then we moved to this place called Shangri La in Malibu, and at this point, um, you know, our life kind of started spiraling out of control um and um you know this um at a certain point i had to get out of that band because i wanted to um take care of myself i had to like step away from that it was Mm. not productive it wasn't um it was you know, gonna kill me. Like it was that. Like being in that band was gonna kill me. Right. Um, I, that's interesting. I mean, because I think one of the things that was so uh, intense, or like you know, uh, part of just what Jane's addiction was. I mean, they called themselves Jane's addiction to start with. You know what I mean? That, yeah. that it was so personal of an experience in a way, and so intense in yeah. a way. You know, and very. Very Los Angeles, to me. Yes, you know? absolutely. You know, uh, so it 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 spoke uh, like uh, with you know like an, an entertainment biz kind of a you know, realm. You know, lived in that kind of world in a way. You know, it, it was able to like encompass that, or they did. You know, kind of so um, to then. And and they got real big, you know. I mean, they were one of the first bands that were like out of our scene, or people that were like, you know, we kind of knew or whatever, you know, they were around in a way. They got to the point they were doing arenas and stuff, you yeah. know, and that kind of a thing. So, and you know, definitely, you know, you guys had the finances to be able to build, you know, stuff like that, you know, and actually get to that point. I mean, it must have been fairly interesting experience, you know. And it's like, yeah, it was, it was, it was a really. Um, crazy experience for me um it's a it's a weird thing so you know you know how music connects like um to me like songs are like time capsules like oh yeah music i didn't like when i was 12 but was around now can give me like this feeling of nostalgia like 
you know, like because I have memories attached to that moment. Mm. Right. My memories of being in Porno for Pyros are mostly because of my own doing very negative so for me that band there's like when i think about it or talk about it or hear the songs it brings me no joy it's because it was such a dark time of my life oh wow um well, that's interesting it's interesting that you know it's something you want to do you know how you like playing music yeah you know what i mean yeah and to have the opportunities there because one of the aspects of playing music is like you said professionally right start doing gigs you know yeah. you get a hundred bucks for playing it at you know the local saloon you know and suddenly it gets blown up to the point you know and and, and coming out of the punk rock scene you know there was never a lot of money and it never seemed like there was going to be money in a way you know yeah because it was kind of the anti-moneyed side of things you know how 70s rock blew up to like rock star level right where dudes had their own airplanes and stuff you know so to have like a have those resources available to you, right? And so much potential to be there, you know, to to have a good time and really blow it out. I mean, it's interesting to hear you say that, like, you know, that it's a negative thing. I mean, it's kind of a drag, you know? Yeah, I mean, I mean it's only because of my own stuff. You know, that, you and know, that's, my... what it, that, that's what I was getting, that, like, that, like you know, it, it's just, is it human failing? Is it who because of who we are, you know, that suddenly, you know, I mean, look at that, Led Zeppelin used Icarus as their little... Uh, whatever it is, that little picture on their on their records, right? Oh, right. Yeah. It's the you know Icarus, the Icarus tail of it. Yeah. You know, made his wings with wax and whatnot, but flew too close to the sun. The wings melted, and he plummeted to earth. You know, so uh, you know, there's like a little too much. For know. for me, definitely too much. Um, I was. Um, it, it it's a it's a dichotomy because yes, I started with punk rock. Um. And I held on to this punk rock credibility way too hard, which um, um, is is funny to me now as well. Um, and then, um, I mean, when I started playing with Porn of Pyros, if we would stay at a you know Four Seasons, I would still go across the street and buy a loaf of bread and. And, you know, like mayonnaise and, uh, and make my own sandwiches. But I didn't know how to be that person. You know, I'd been, you know, like driving to gigs and vans and sleeping at people's houses. And so I remember them laughing at me like there, there is more time with a loaf of, loaf of bread and like, you know, sandwich meat and cheese. And, um, and then I kind of got used to it. Mm. But I don't know what it was like. I don't. I think I got too much recognition too fast. I don't think my. I think my ego got too big mm -hmm. for no good reason. <laughs> like, <laughs> not what the hell. You know what it's like. As we're, I'm, you know, I play a tricycle. <laughs> um, and. Um, yeah, I started buying into this hype, like, mm. and and it bit me in my ass. Thank God. <laughs> thank God. Thank God. Yeah, because I I did lose. Like I, my life's always been like up and down and up and down, but like dram like drastically, and it's only because of the downs that now I really am grateful for. Like when things 
line up really nice or I get a great gig or I get to play with people that I really like or I get to play on an album with you know that I actually enjoy listening to like the those kind of things make me really happy well hold on just one second and then yes. I, I think we want to hear about all those albums that give you joy to listen to but we have Take a word from break. our sponsor hey everybody it's Chris Kirkwood if you're searching for a recreational dispensary in Denver then the right place to check out is Wellspring Collective. Wellspring Collective's high-quality cannabis products set them apart from other recreational dispensaries in Denver to meet your buying needs. Browse through their menu, check out their specials, and contact them with any questions you may have about recreational marijuana. Wellspring Collective is located in Denver at 1724 South Broadway along the stretch of road called the Green Mile. Wellspring Collective, the place to go for all of your marijuana needs. So Porno stopped. Porno, well, they, they continued with Mike Watt. Oh, Michael played with Porno? Yeah, <laughs> Mike Watt um, stepped in on... Okay. I mean, I've, I, I played on most of the second record. Mm -hmm. Mike played on two songs, I think. Flea played on one song. And, and someone else... Dave J. Dave J. Um, Bauhaus played on one song. Um, and then I was done. I, I, I quit the band. Mm -hmm. Um, I quit the band after a dream. <laughs> after a dream? Yeah. yeah. I had a dream last night. That <laughs> I was at a gig. I had a dream gig, right? And we were like playing at like a festival, and we we're the last band. And uh, like as we're setting up, and before we go on, everybody leaves. Like everybody, right? And you know, and uh, in the dream, it's like, oh, geez, everybody's leaving, right? <laughs> And then there were, like, these Asian people that were running the backstage area, and they were charging us for, like, these little sushi rolls, right? Yeah. And I thought it was, you know, I, was, I found out they're actually charging us, and everybody's gone, and this is just turning sour. So I took, like, this, 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 this amorphous uh, seafood item. It was like a squid blob, squid blob kind of a thing in my dream, and I tucked it underneath a, a carpet, <laughs> like, uh, in the backstage area so that it would rot. That's the dream I had last night. Wow. So, there are know. similarities between my dream and yours, strangely enough. There are weird similarities. This is a, That's why I was kind of sitting here freaking out. Like, So I had this dream. Okay, I'm in, I'm in a rehab. This is not a dream. I'm actually in a rehab. Okay. That's a nightmare. So... I yeah, <laughs> so so I have this I have I have this dream and basically it's like someone wakes me up in my bunk like you knock on the door it's like hey Perry is playing a show and this 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 rehab has a huge courtyard and you know it's like there's thousands of people there all my friends Perry is there and um. And it's like the ten, like the the anticipation is building. There's like everyone's like buzzing, like oh my god, it's gonna be amazing. And and he just doesn't get on stage for a long time. And then like finally, like people are kind of starting to leave. Like jeez, oh, when is this happening? And then suddenly there's this drum roll and it's brrrr, and there's a spotlight and there's Perry, and he steps into this cannon. A cannon. <laughs> he had this little weightlifters like leotard on with a Sweet. lightning bolt, <laughs> <laughs> and he gets into this canyon. He's like, like, like with his arms spread, like here I come, and they shoot him over the crowd, which by the way now has thinned out really drastically, right? <laughs> into this little net behind the audience. So now he starts singing from there. Um. And then it's really bad. People are leaving, and um, 
in the end there's like no one there and he's like you know like oh and then he picked up this sculpture he had he went back to the main station on this little cable thing oh, like God. cable pulley it's awesome <laughs> <laughs> and there was this big thing that's like welded metal sculpture and it said more than 200 pounds and he went and lifted it up and at that moment the last people were like this is <laughs> horrible <laughs> so I went backstage and he's still singing and I went backstage and his girlfriend at the time is Frank Fish and this is all still the dream the right? dream this is all a dream <laughs> okay. now some of it came some of it became reality later which is the now, funniest the bit. cannon part and, you know, <laughs> so, and the leotard so so you know his wife's frying fish backstage see that what is up with that what the fuck you were having sushi I was <laughs> And then suddenly, I'm sitting there reading the newspaper while she's frying fish, and suddenly Perry peeks, peeks his head like behind the backstage. She goes, honey, do you think people still like me? Oh, God. And I woke up, and I quit the band. I was done. That was it. <laughs> I, was like, I'm, I don't want to be in this band anymore. Wow. <laughs> and, um, and then I started seeing a lot of those things happening. Like, Jane's Addiction would, like do this like disappearing act and then suddenly be behind the audience playing an acoustic set you know nothing as cool as the canon although yeah perry if you're listening canon oh dude <laughs> leotard i i leotard i've seen the leotard <laughs> yeah he's, he's, he's got i watched already. them practice when they had the uh thing on the stage and they were out playing uh yeah that was i didn't like it yeah <laughs> are, are you still uh, so you quit the band. Are you still friends with those guys? I mean, do you see Perry no, ever? No, no. I'm not really? friends with them. No. You, well, we'll leave that there. Like, <laughs> like not friends? Like no. That? No. Um, I mean, I, I don't have any, like, no horrible heart. No, but, no, no. But you don't, like, pal around? Or, no, no. Never. Yeah. Uh, Perry was always pretty enigmatic, you know? Like, I mean, I, I've, I think the first time I met perry we played a show with his band psycom oh yeah yeah um uh stuart swayze this guy stuart out here in los angeles had put on some shows um uh one of which one of which was so bitching it was uh called uh fun at sea i think it was called oh the, yeah he did the one with the, the he yeah. rented a fucking boat down in like uh long beach harbor and it was us and the minutemen and a couple other bands and we played up on top of this. It was like a double decker, like a big like cruise ship, not a cruise ship, but like a tour boat kind of a thing or whatever. And we, you know, at night, and we played up on the top floor of the thing, you know, as the thing cruised around the harbor. Right? Oh, great! And I was bitching. So he did. We did that with with uh, Stewart. Did that, and then he put on this thing, which what was the desert one called? Do you oh, remember? the desert ones. I, what it's year the was one that? that he said that he that Perry said he based Lollapalooza on. It's called, we should know this. Gila Monster Jamboree. Gila Monster Jamboree. It's the first time <laughs> Look at who Sonic me- Youth. I remember that one. It's the first time Sonic Youth ever played in Los Angeles. Was it? Mm-hmm. It was Sonic's. It was that's why it's, it's a legendary show. It really, truly is. Yeah. And that's the one that Perry, for years, said that's where he got the idea for Lollapalooza. That's funny. Here's, so, the, the, you know, and, and so I wouldn't say that, like, Perry's like a, a friend. I mean, he's an acquaintance pal, you know, kind of thing. Or yeah. whatever, somebody that I, you know, would be able to say hi to, you know, but he's never been like a, um, you know, a close buddy or anything, you know. So, but I mean, just, I don't know, in- interesting dude. Definitely interesting guy, you know. Absolutely. And, you know? and he's, I mean, he's, he's made some beautiful music. Oh, yeah. I, um, one of the coolest lead singers in a way, you know, like, 
to be a lead singer to take it to that point you know i mean you know i mean i'm just i'm just such a terrible singer it's not even funny you know these days i never was any good and it's only gotten worse you know so but to be like a lead singer in the first place to just stand up there without an instrument you know and to be able to handle that kind of a thing you know yeah. and then lollapalooza was far out you know yeah so here's my funny lollapalooza story speaking of mike watt and flea right um uh, i was out here i was staying at bill's house Bill and my friend John Gannam. Uh, that's when I met Bill, actually. I was making our first major label record, you know? This is like 91, 90, 91? 90, 91. So, uh, you know, and we'd been playing a long time, you know, and made a bunch of records and stuff, but suddenly we get signed to a major label, and we're making a record at Capitol, you know, at the Capitol Studios. And uh, it was real fun, you know? So we're making that record, and Flea stops by at one point, because Flea is a buddy, you know, mm -hmm. he's a, yeah. like an actual pal, you know, yes. I consider, you know, somebody that's a pal. And uh, uh, and they were headlining, I think it was the first Lollapalooza, I think it was the first one, and they were headlining uh, it. But they were doing the second one, yes. The second one, yeah. The first one was the first James. One James. It was James. Yeah. The second okay. one was... Okay, so it was the second one. And it was the last show of, the, of that second Lollapalooza tour, and it was at Irvine Meadows, right? So he stops by and he says, you know, he's going to the show that night. He stops by the studio and he says he's going to go down there with Mike Watt, right? Who's another bold pal, you know? And uh, he's like, you want to go? I'm like, well, sure, you know, because it, it's going to be easy, right? They're playing. So it's like, it'll be easy to get, you know what I mean? He's, he's going to drive down there. We all three go together. So we go to the show. My brother came down and uh, uh, there was a, a, a bunch of people that, there, you know, like uh, all these different bands and different folks and they decided to have a um at the end of the thing have a jam on uh uh like uh cosmic slop by p funk they wanted to have a jam right have everybody come out my brother goes out gibby was there um, yeah i was there angelo yeah. were you there yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you remember that night yeah, that's what's so yeah. fucking cool so yeah. i decided not to go out right i'm like yeah fuck it there's too many people out there you know let them go out and jam i'm standing on the sideline then i'm like oh fuck it i'm gonna go out and it's gonna do a little bit of art rock you know or just like that creative or uh uh performance art side of you know punk rocky shit so i went out there with a roll of duct tape and i started duct taping people together and around and around fucking gibby i tried to tape him up and he like grabs me pull my pants down right and i'm like ah he gets me up on his shoulders and he's like spinning me around i'm yeah you know and i'm taping a little bit more and suddenly uh, i'm like put upon by like an official right or like a a, a stage a stage tech or something. And he's like bah, 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 and like and it really put i was like what the fuck you know because suddenly punk rock our, our little punk rock thing you know had gotten to the point of being at this big you know tour level of like you know, there's money involved and there's, you know, high techery and whatnot, but it's just still like, what the fuck, you know? You know, I, I'm, I'm not allowed to have my fun with a little bit of tape here because you think I can't? So I'm standing there kind of not digging it and suddenly realize, oh, is that a fire extinguisher? You remember this? And like, <laughs> oh, man, man. Didn't like the duct tape here. You know, <laughs> I got love this. <laughs> so I go out there with a the fucking fire extinguisher and I'm like, <laughs> right, light the thing up. And it's just, and I'm thinking, oh, God, this is so perfect. You know, it's just one of yes. those moments. This is why I got into genius. The arts. I'm spinning around with all this shit, you know. And, and, and all suddenly I realized, did the music stop? <laughs> Did the fucking lights come on? What the fuck? Where is everybody? Right? And I kind of come crawling out of the cloud. 
of, of you know this this noxious you know fire retardant, and you know and uh, and I'm pretty sure I, I like. I don't think I think Anthony like actually didn't even like it, you know. Like he was actually like you fucked up our jam, and I'm like, I'm trying my hardest. I thought it was cool. I'm sorry. Come back. You know? Oh my jaws hurt hurt from laughing. That's fantastic. Oh, the great thing. Well, great, great in retrospect at the time, not appreciated. Not appreciated at all. Oh, beautiful. And uh, you know, oddly enough, we 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 were never asked to. Play a Well, we are coming to the end of this because we actually. Okay, so too bad. That was fun. So let's sum up though. So no, we won't sum up yet. I mean, we can edit it out. It was like yeah, a little yeah. bit longer. But we we, do, we we got another. We still have to do. Well, you know, we still have to get our fire extinguishers out and. So <laughs> so then uh, so you you stop playing with those dudes and then yeah. and then but you've you know you're still here you're still playing you join the cult. You know? Yeah, I was in the cult for a little while. Yeah. One of the 37 bass players. <laughs> you know, bass player number 27. Yeah. yeah. Was that pretty fun? Yeah, it was, it was actually really fun. You know? Yeah. So you had a good time with that? Yeah. And then, now, can, can we mention you're married to Christina Applegate? Yes, yes, yes. So you move over to here, move over here with a model. Okay, now 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 this is just you know, and now you wind up with one of the, you know, I mean, you know your your wife's a very beautiful woman, you know, and uh, thank you. She is, you know, and, and so what the hell's going on here? Models, movie stars. <laughs> <laughs> what am I, chopped liver? <laughs> well, I got, I got to tell you something about Christina. <laughs> she is, and I know this sounds corny. She's my soulmate. She's the love of my life. She. And I met in 94, you know where Canners is? Yeah. We walked it's a deli. into each other like this. Yeah. We looked in each other's eyes and there were sparks right away. Seriously. Okay. So Crazy. Wow. And due to my um, lifestyle, mm -hmm. I was not a suitable person for anyone to be in a relationship <laughs> with. Right. So... Then we ended up running into each other. Now, I'm so bad with time. The last time at the children's hospital where we were both volunteering and the same thing happened. We just looked at each other and it was like, wow. That's there neat. you are. Wow. There you are. And another reason to volunteer at children's hospital. That was the only reason I was volunteering at the children's <laughs> hospital. I'd heard she was good. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so awful. <laughs> no, I was doing that already for years, and she actually only came like that one time. You were volunteering at the children's hospital. Yeah, you know, I was I was having a really rough time. I was actually not making a living playing music, mm -hmm. and and I was like, I'm not a musician anymore. I can't eat. I can't pay the rent. I can't do anything. Um, I'm I gotta like find a real job, right? right? And and I was really resentful about it too. I was like, well, you know, um, you know, how come I, I I can't make a living playing music? We're like, where's my gig? Where's my where's my 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 my? And someone goes, you know what? Why don't you go treat music a little bit differently? Instead of thinking what you're gonna get, like, why don't you go to the children's hospital and play music for the, for the kids and with the kids and do it for something else other than your living? Wow. And it totally 
changed my whole perspective on everything. So I started giving lessons at the children's hospital. I started, you know, going there once a week. Um, wow. And playing on the cancer wards and, mm. yeah. Was, yeah, that's about as, that's one of the <clears throat> harshest places on the, on the planet is like the uh, pediatric cancer ward. Yeah, and there's so much love there too. And, yeah. and, 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 and just going in there, there's this great organization called Art of Elysium. Mm -hmm. A lot of my friends volunteer for it and, you know, they bring all kinds of art programs, music programs into the children's hospitals and it's it's amazing. Well, let's plug Fantastic. that. Fantastic. Yeah. Art of Elysium. Okay. And that's can be Googled and people can It can be Googled. Um and um I yeah, mean, if there's can, anything to get behind, you know. I mean, kids are kids, you know. Yeah, and, and that's so, amazing. I mean, it was like the power of giving, and and you know, the most fulfilling thing. Like, and it and it did change the way I looked at music, which had always been my livelihood. It mm -hmm. became like, wow, I I was given all this, like, and I can make someone else happy with it, or even teach them how to start mm -hmm. playing music like that, and. Yeah play songs with kids that you know might be having a really shitty day in there right um it was pretty incredible and yeah. the universe out of that gave you the love of your life it's pretty well, fucking cosmic yeah that, that i mean that was um that's how it happened in this case but yeah that certainly wasn't what i was looking for right but i mean somehow you know <laughs> you know however that you know came together in that way i mean that's that's a tale of redemption in a way yeah a beautiful tale i of redemption. love redemption no, I love I love happy endings. Mm. No, no kidding. Right? You are one. Oh, you know, I don't know. You know, I mean, I'm I'm definitely an ending. You know? Oh no! <laughs> happy. Uh, oh, I love that. There's nothing better than a story of heartbreak that then ends really well. You know. Yeah. Uh, at least you know, well enough. You know. Yeah. So, so on that note, uh, maybe we'll do this again sometime because we'd love to. But. Um, that's a, a wrap for today's episode, and I can't think of a better way to wrap it. Really? Thank you very much. I had so much fun. Thank well, you. Thank you, Martina. And what a fucking treat to see you, man. And I'm really glad that, you know, things are going well for you now. Likewise, Chris. You know, you know seriously, because, you know, it's a strange thing to do. You know, I mean, it's not a strange thing to do. It's just another fucking gig. But we playing music is what we've done. And and uh, and here we are today. Yeah. And it was a fucking pleasure, man. Thank Likewise. you very much for having us over. Really appreciate the hell out of it. And thank you, Nate, for taking thank care you, of everything Nate. today. And Bill, thank you, Bill. There we go. Cool